0: Good evening, uh, my name is Naman. I am a pastor here at City Reformed, also doing some campus ministry at Carnegie Mellon, if I haven't met you yet, uh, we're glad, I'm glad to meet you now and, and to be with you tonight. Um, we, just coming off of Easter and, and kind of a ton of things going on and, and we took a little bit of a hiatus last last Sunday and even the Sunday prior to that we kind of uh, did a special Sunday for Palm Sunday and had a picnic here so it, it feels like we, we need a little bit more. Uh, inertia and momentum to get this sermon series through 1 Peter get going again but we're 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 back here in 1 Peter as we have been going through this this entire semester and really investigating Peter's word to to the church of what it looks like to to take upon this call of holiness to to live as Christians living in a non-Christian world and what that looks like so we're continuing here on our passage in 1 Peter 4 uh, verses 1 through 11 if you would follow along in your bulletins I'll read that for us since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for hum- no longer for human passions but for the will of God For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, growing up as a kid, I, I watched way too much TV. Uh, way too much that was healthy for a kid my age. And uh, after a while, I, I noticed... Some reruns of a show uh, that was that had aired way before my time. It 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 had aired before uh, after I was born, but I was I was too young to appreciate when it came around. And that show was Quantum Leap. Does anybody know that show? Am I am I dating myself? But uh, Quantum Leap uh, is a show about a scientist who, through this wacky science fiction experiment, gets caught leaping uh, through time, and, and he ends up in in different people's bodies. So he ends up becoming different people. Uh, in different periods of time, the scientist Sam, and and for each person that he that he takes on, he's given an opportunity to either to to change something, to alter history, or to to help that person uh, to to make their life a little bit better. And then after he does that, and after it seems like it resolved, he kind of jumps into another body, into a different time. Uh, and and the show kind of has a little uh, social parody and. and It claims that that this scientist was the one who taught Michael Jackson how to do the moonwalk. Uh, 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 He saved Dr. Heimlich uh, from choking, and that's how the Heimlich maneuver was was created. uh, If anything, this show was more of a social commentary. right? By the the, the season finale, spoiler alert, uh, Sam, the main character, discovers that he has control over the nature and the destinations of where he's going, of who he becomes, and what he does. And he can leap to wherever he wants and whoever he wants. And at the the very end of the show, it shows that he never returns back to the present. He never returns back to his own body, to his present time. And throughout the show, it seemed like his his main goal was to to get back to who he was and get back to the present. But it leaves off kind of open-endedly because Sam just continues leaping into different time periods and different people. Uh, And this is not unlike what we witness today, when we witness the present day and age, right? And so there are various different cultural perspectives on the present. And I I printed some quotes there in the reflections of your bulletin in the beginning, and I'll I'll, I'll read them for us. Um, One of the quotes from George Harrison says, It's being here now that's important. There's no past. There's no future. Time is a very misleading thing. All there ever is is the now. And so there's, there's one camp that believes that the present is all there is. Like all we do and all of our efforts muster up to how can we enjoy the now in the best way possible. There's, no, there's nothing to worry about in the past. There's nothing to worry about in the future. We're all about living for the present.
1: And for those of us
0: who, who have maybe engaged in, in that kind of perspective and mindset, we know that that's not the case. That we can't just only live for the present. There are things about our past that we need to reconcile, that we need to own up to, but also there, there are things that we're trying to work towards in the future. There's a reason why we take on the jobs that we do, that we uh, put forth the efforts that we do, because there's, there's a goal and there's an end to where we're headed. And so does that mean there's no present altogether? The other quote says, from Alan wilson Watts: he says, we are living in a culture entirely hypnotized by the illusion of time in which the, the so-called present moment is felt as nothing but an infinitesimal hairline between an all-powerfully causative past and an absorbingly important future. We have no present. Everything that we do is, is all about something that ha- has happened in the past or either something that is going to happen in the future. And some of us may may kind of attune to this as well, as we're, we're sitting at work at the office or something, and we're dreaming about the vacation that's coming in the summer in a couple of weeks and, and what we're going to do. But then, lo and behold, when we get to that vacation, all we're thinking about is what's going on at work, and and we're preoccupied by the things of the past. So, is do we do we kind of live in a mindset where the present is all there is, or or is there a present at all? And and I I believe that Peter, one of Peter's main points in the passage that I read tonight is it's learning how to straddle both the past and the future, so that it affects the way that we live in the now, that we live. In the present, because he uses time language here. He uses the time that is past and the end of all things is coming is near. And so what difference do these things have on us now? And how are we learning as Christians by the gospel to straddle both past and future to affect the ways that our lives are lived now? And so I'm going to I'm going to argue that from from tonight's passage in two points and two, not three. It's it's very unpresbyterian of me. Uh, And I didn't even print out outlines for you, man, I'm just, uh, I'm the worst right now. But we're going to look through this passage from two points, uh, through this idea, the lens of how do we view the present? And first is suffering, and secondly, through stewardship. First is suffering, and then through stewardship. Um, Peter begins his his passage, uh, or one of the ways that he begins his passage is, if you'll look with me, in verse 3, it says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. For the time that is past suffices for what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists all of these Gentile virtues of of debauchery, as he later labels them. So what Peter says here is that the past is the non Christian Gentile lifestyle way of, of living, right? Sin, idolatry, debauchery. And then he continues on in verse four to say, "With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you." So we are often, as Christians, persecuted because we do not join with non-Christians in their sin, in their idolatry. We fail, uh, they fail to understand something that is different from them. So we are maligned, as Peter says, we are persecuted by them. And for a lot of us, we know that that's true. Uh, going through the course of, of campus ministry as I'm talking with college students this is re- very real for them because as Christians are always asked questions like man why don't you come and, and party with us on the weekend, why don't you come drink with us or even more specifically at CMU it's like man why, these questions may not be asked explicitly but they're asked in a way that says why don't you study as hard as I do why don't you try to achieve harder than I do and so they're surrounded by this culture of trying to outperform one another, looking to each over each other's shoulders. For those of us in, in dating relationships or wanting to be in dating relationships, this kind of culminates into, why Why do you save yourself for marriage? Why not just enjoy yourself now? Or if you're working, like, how, why do you spend the money the way that you do? Why don't, why don't you just kind of use it a little bit for yourself? I had a friend recently that was going through a, a marriage, a premarital counseling question and and... One of the parents of, of the spouses, or future spouses, was, was trying to encourage his son, who, who they weren't Christian, was trying to encourage his son to, to get a prenuptial agreement. And so they we're talking through this idea of why, why get a prenup in the first place and, and what does that actually mean? What are, what are the, the deeper issues that lie there? Uh, as a parent of young children, questions like, you have no control over your kids. They're going to be exposed to things eventually, so you might as well just kind of fend for themselves, or this this mantra that you have total control over your kids. You can, you can plan every single step of their life from the next 10, 15 years, and so you should do that. Or even if we're thinking about retirement, thinking about the longer road, then why don't you settle down for yourself and start living for yourself a little bit more? As... Christians, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, suffering and persecution may not come in a very explicit way where halfway across the world people are suffering and persecuted and physically harmed for believing in Jesus Christ. And so we have a privilege uh, of living in a Western world that may not experience those things, but we still experience suffering. We still experience malignment, as Peter says, because as Christians we believe and live in different ways that would cause the watching world to ask questions to doubt us, to persecute us, to ridicule us in different ways. Peter calls us as Christians that we are to endure through this suffering and persecution. But he doesn't exhort us to endure through it in and of itself, to, to bear down, to, to plow through, just to, to white knuckle it. But as Christians now, are past, what he labeled as something that only the Gentiles would do, our past is only defined by what Christ has done. Our past becomes a gospel past in which we are no longer identified by our scars, by our brokenness, by the residual effects of our past sins, but only what Christ has done for us. Verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way of thinking. So that we no longer identify our pasts as the same debauchery and idolatry as the non-Christian world. But we identify our pasts in Jesus. And Peter calls us to to suffer in a very unique way. He, he 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 calls us to reflect on the suffering of Christ on the cross. And he actually exhorts us to arm ourselves with that same way of suffering. That's a very interesting way to, to tell us to suffer, to arm ourselves with suffering. In, in the context of, of the audience of this passage, but also for us today, suffering is a very weak thing. It's a vulnerable thing. For those who, can, for those who do suffer and show that are, are kind of viewed as somewhat inferior, somewhat debilitated by that. But Peter tells us to arm ourselves with the suffering of Christ it's because Christ's suffering, his death on the cross, and his ultimate resurrection from the grave provides perseverance and endurance. It provides strength and protection because we are, then, we are now viewed, our past is now viewed in Christ. Not just our own scars, our own sins. And so when we can live and endure suffering, forsaking human passions, and living for the will of God... Peter, said, Peter says that sin, uh, the flesh ceases from sin. Now, what does that mean? It's not to say that if we suffer rightly, uh, that we, sin will be completely eradicated from our lives, because we know that as Christians, sin still exists. It still rages on, and we will no longer be fully eradicated that from this lifetime. But what Peter is saying is that for those who are willing to suffer in Christ Jesus, there is an active severing and an active ceasing of our association with sin in our lives. That the more we draw closer to God, that the more we draw closer to Christ, the more that sin is driven away from our life. The more that we draw closer to God, the more that sin is driven away. And so we see effects of this all throughout Scripture, like lives radically changed by the gospel because of what Christ has done. And one of the prime examples is the Apostle Paul himself the one who was persecuting the church, the one who was actually causing active suffering within the early Jewish Christian church, is all of a sudden his life is completely turned around 180 because of his encounter with Jesus. So that those who Paul then starts to minister to, they begin to have doubts and fears because they they recognize this one as the one who caused persecution and suffering. But now God is calling Paul as his own apostle his own apostle to preach his gospel to, to those around us. So we know that enduring through suffering, suffering for Christ, uh, creates a radical response for us. So that when we're met with malignment, when we're met with questions and doubt and ridicule, we can answer. We can respond. I don't like to party on weekends. I don't like to want to try to study harder and be better than you because I receive a satisfaction... That is way beyond all of that. I I receive a satisfaction that is in something or someone greater. I believe in God's beautiful design for marriage. And so I want to preserve that as, as best as I can. I believe in using my money generously for others and not just for myself. I believe in the commitment of marriage that God has instituted since the beginning of time. It's not only based on me and my spouse and how hard we can commit to one another, but it's a it's a covenant that is made between us and God himself. I am not the savior of my children. I believe I'm called to be a steward of a gift that God has given me, and I want to learn how to love my children in that way. And my calling in life extends way beyond my career. It's not just about retirement, it's not just about settling down and, and, and living for myself now, but my calling is to one who frees me from this persecution and suffering. And so as we think about the gospel past, as we think about our own pasts, the things that we think define our pasts, how much of that is left wallowing in, in, in our scars, in our sins, and our idolatry, but or how much of it is, is viewed in Christ?
1: What does it look like
0: to forsake human passion in your life? In what ways might we continue to suffer because of the ways that our past dictates what Christ has done for us and not what we have done? Not by what others are doing. What does it look like to live for the will of God? How does your gospel past, the reality that Christ suffered and died for you, shape and change the way that you live right now? Your gospel past. Um, And Peter also Uh, looks forward, looks ahead, and and he he doesn't just stop there, but he he looks towards uh, what is to come if we believe in Christ, if we are Christian. As Christians, we also live with the reality that the gospel affects our future as well. And As Peter mentioned, starting in verse 5, he says, "...but they, the Gentiles, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." That is to say that Christ will come again in the future to judge the living and the dead. And then again in verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. This, um, what what the Bible uh, prophesies towards Christ coming coming again and restoring all things, that is that end uh, is at hand. It's it's imminent. It is coming again. Uh, but these are not just mere abstract truths that we are to just gaze upon and and, and nod our heads to and say, yeah, that that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like it it could be right. But it should, in a very real way, affect the way that we live right now. If we know that Christ is coming again to to judge and to restore all things, it should have a very real impact of how we live our our lives right now. If at the very least, Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead, then all the people who have died in in past history and all people who are living when he returns... Christ will judge for all of their thoughts and all of their actions. And that should in a some way, in some ways scare us. When I was a kid, this was a very real point of tension for me because I, I viewed it as, as, as this cosmic uh, history page of my own life. When, when Christ came again, he would have access to all the thoughts, all the deeds, all the things that I've looked at, all the, all the things that I've done in my past, and he's going to get a record of all that. So that scared me. Death. We hear a lot of people of their own conversion stories uh, begin to believe in the gospel because of the fires of hell. These are very real things where they're scared of their eternity if if their lives aren't changed. Um, And it's not to say that it's not true. The, The gospel is at least one of those things where Christ will come back to judge the living and the dead, but Peter brings it even further, he says the end is at hand, where Christ is coming back not only to judge, but to restore all things, to make all things new. Um, There are often times where I'll I'll come home, or I'll come into the bedroom, and and Sarah is there, and she's on her phone, and she's just weeping. She's just crying at something. And uh, the first time it happened, I was like, are you okay? What's wrong? What happened, right? Uh, And after a while, these these sorts of episodes happened over and over again, and there was a consistent theme that was going on, and I found out that she was on her phone, and she would be watching some type of of video or some type of social media post, and it was uh, either one of, like, veterans coming home and, and, like, surprising their kids or their spouses, and then she gets all teary and emotional for that, or it was um, terminally ill babies, like, stories of babies who, who, at a very young age, had this terminally ill illness or cancer or, or some type of tribute to, to somebody's mother and um, some broken relationship that was restored. And so now I'll come into the room and she's crying. I was like, is it the veteran, is it the baby, or is it the mom? And so we, we kind of run through this lesson. Uh, I, I appreciate her, her, her heart to still be convicted by a lot of those things, because for me it's a very real and practical picture uh, that this life, the life that we live in right now, is not the way that it should be. That it's very broken. Whether you're living through a chronic physical illness or you know somebody else who is living through something like that. Whether you're going through some type of relational crisis, a member of your family, a, mem- a good friend of yours, a broken relationship, something that has happened that is still maybe it happened a decade ago, maybe it happened 20 years ago, maybe it happened yesterday but something about a relationship for you that is broken. For those of us asking questions about how could there be such evil in the world? How could God allow such evil in the world? With Sri Lanka, with yet another synagogue shooting, with all of these shootings, with natural disasters, all these things that happen, how could these things still happen? For those of, for those of us struggling with internal addictions, internal ambitions to, to be the best that we can, but for the sake of driving others away, for the sake of driving God away, for the ways in which things should not be. Uh, And I wanted to pause here and read from Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall be neither there will be no more mourning no crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away when we think about the gospel of the future when we think about the reality of the end being at hand, this is the picture that, that Peter gives us, is that broken things will be restored. Physical illnesses will be healed. The ultimate relational break that happened between us and God will be restored. <clears throat> Questions of a broken world will be answered because God will come to renew his creation. We will be made new and God will be with us. God will dwell with us. When we think about the gospel future, it's not only coupled with judgment and justice, but it's coupled with grace and restoration and the reality that God himself will be with us again. And even here, the danger is that these gospel truths will stop here and remain as mere abstract truths. So, how does our knowledge of these truths impact and affect the present, the way that we conduct our lives today? How do our lives display the truth that we are actually partaking in that very restoration right now as believers in Jesus Christ? And the way that Peter applies that to us is that in light of this truth and reality that Christ is coming again in the future, that he has restored our past, Peter commands us to be stewards of God's gifts. Let me read for us, we starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So how are we to be affected? How are we? To, how is our present, the living and the now, to be affected by this gospel past and truth that Christ has redeemed us? And also that? this gospel future that Christ will come to restore everything again and Peter exhorts us be self controlled, be sober minded be unlike the Gentiles be unlike the non-Christians that I mentioned here through a dependent form of prayer love one another love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality not begrudgingly but without grumbling, show hospitality and use your gifts to serve one another Speak God's promises and truths, and serve with God's strength and compassion. And if you notice, all of these virtues, all of these application points, are the very virtues of Christ Himself. To be humble, to be sober-minded, to love one another, to show hospitality, to speak the truth of God. <clears throat> if we look in the in the book of Matthew, there there's a passage there where Christ is talking about uh, trees that bear fruit. Right, Trees that bear fruit. And uh, the reality of that, that parable, that depiction that, that Christ gives, is that it's not a distinction or a difference between trees that bear fruit and trees that don't bear fruit. But the reality is that all trees bear fruit. And the question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? As Christians, as we, as we look towards the gospel past, as we look towards our own past. What are the ways in which our present is affected and still living in the residual effects of our own past and our sins? What are ways in which Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection defines us? And what are ways in which the way that we live now has in mind this end that Christ will come to administer judgment and justice and goodness and restoration? What kind of fruit are we bearing in our lives as those who believe in Christ Jesus. Living in the now. Living in the present. And that's what I wanted to leave us with. Let me pray for us.